Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Would you stand to your feet? Come on, let's get into the Word. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 16. We come to the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It's been quite a journey as... We have been together learning how to uh, walk with the Son of God and how to live a life with Him through the Gospel of Mark. I want you to turn with me. We're going to read eight verses today from Mark chapter 16. It's the... And tonight we will finish Mark... And uh, you don't want to miss tonight. It's going to be a powerful service. I want you to read from verses 1 through 8. Would you do that with me as we share in the word of the Lord? When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And when they had looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anybody because they were afraid. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp, it is a light, and we ask that as we mine this These eight verses, you will reveal the diamonds of truth to our hearts, and we'll leave this place changed by your word. We pray that we will operate in a new awareness of your power today. Come on, people, pray in the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit of God, come in power and in might. Come upon me. Give me revelation. Give me the ability to preach your word with power that people will receive it and be changed by it. I pray, Holy Ghost, come on this congregation today. Give them ears to hear and a heart to respond and eyes to see. And Lord, your name would be glorified in our lives as a result. And we'll be sure to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We come to the conclusion of a mighty book in the Bible, the book of Mark, and we've been talking about living in the power of the Son. I want to talk today on the subject, He has risen, the words of the angel. Everybody say it with me. He has what? Say it with me on three. He has risen. Ready? One, two, three. The basis for our faith is not a set of rules or laws or a specific way of living. For our faith is based on one thing, Jesus rose from the dead. I want you to take your Bibles just for a moment. I want you to read what the Apostle Paul has to say about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Turn there with me just for a moment. I want you to look at verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read it, 
But I want you to read along with me because I want you to see the power of what Paul is saying concerning what we've just gone through, the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. By this gospel you are If. Everybody say if. You hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Wow. That is what the gospel writer Mark has been sharing, his life, his death, his resurrection. Paul goes on in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and his argument is that because Christ rose from the dead, we have life after death. In fact, in verse 20 of chapter 15, he says, he is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. And then in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The reason I can stand here and say the moment you breathe your last breath, if you die in Christ, you'll be reunited with him, is because he rose from the dead. And there is life after death. Paul also affirms that if Christ has not been risen, or if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. That's what he says in verse 14. So what we're about to study today is, is very, very important for all of us. Because Christianity is a living relationship with the living Lord. So let's take a look at the text. As you look at Mark chapter 16, you'll notice a few things. As we flow in from chapter 15 into chapter 16, we see no difference between the historicity of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. They are both historical events. They both took place in time and space. The resurrection is not some mythical idea that somehow are we adopted into our religious jargon? No, no, no. It is an historical fact. It is literally the same as we know he died. We know that he rose from the dead. As a student of history and did a master's degree at USC in ancient history, one of the things that caused me to continue to walk by faith and not by sight was when I took the time to look at the evidence of the resurrection. I shared a little bit about it last Sunday night. God is so gracious to allow us to have a living faith, a real faith, a faith not of simple ideas, but that which God has wrought in time and space in our history. Now what is interesting about this text, you'll notice that the women who saw Jesus placed in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb after his death on Friday are now going back at the first ray of light on Sunday 
For it was their first opportunity to give proper respect to the body of their dead teacher. And they were so intent on getting to the tomb, they forgot something. <laughs> you say, what did they forget? They forgot to bring people with them to move the stone so they could get to Jesus' body. Now, let me talk about this a moment. For those of you that have traveled with me to Israel, and we're planning to go again in, uh, next year in October, we go to the place called the Garden Tomb. We also go to the traditional tomb, but the Garden Tomb is one place where we really enjoy because, as you know, Joseph Arimathea was... Uh, tomb was in a garden. This is a garden right next to one of the places that has been seen as Golgotha, the place of the skull. And um, you'll notice when you get there that there's a trench that is right in front of the opening of the tomb where a major rock would be placed and would be rolled into place. And once it's rolled into place, it's extremely difficult to remove it. In fact, you will notice that the reason why this was the case was because there were grave stealers. There were people that would rob graves. You know that from looking at the Pharaoh's graves and how they were plundered over and over again. And that happened throughout the ancient world. There would be people that after a person would die would go in there and take whatever they thought was of value. So the way they did that was to get that stone in such a position, once it got into place, it was very, very hard to move it. Well, what is interesting, by the fact that Mark records there in verse 4 that the stone was very large. You notice he mentions that. It was very large. He is suggesting it being moved before the women arrived was a miracle. It was a great miracle. In fact, it was an angel that moved it. And he was sitting in the tomb on the right-hand side, it says. Now, if you walk into the garden tomb, for those of you that have been to Israel, you'll notice that when you walk into the tomb, the actual place where Jesus may have been laid was to the right-hand side. There's, a, there's kind of a little platform in a separate kind of a little room, and he was probably sitting on that very place. You'll notice that that uh, we know that uh, he is an angel by the fact that Mark describes his clothing. He says a white robe. Now, you might think, well, what's that about? Well, a white robe is a mark of the heavenlies. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured? It tells us there in Mark 9, 3 that Jesus' robe became dazzling white. And whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And so that is what Mark is referring to. This angelic being had white clothing on. It's a clear picture that he's from the heavens. The very fact that Mark describes him as a young man to me is very interesting. I mean, hello, he's a young man, but he's, you know, he's timeless. So he's older than anyone around but he's a young man. Now, why would Mark say that? What he's doing is he's pointing to the reader. Uh, he wants them to see that God acts in history, can be seen as natural and spiritual both at the same time. 
Sometimes we think that something spiritual has to be real weird. No, God works. In fact, angels can take on any shape they want. They can, they can become an old person, a young person, a, a middle-aged person. They come to reveal something. And I think what you're seeing here is he looked like a young man, but in reality, he was an angel. And you'll notice that the angel gives a revelatory message. Everybody say it with me. A what? Revelatory message. Look at verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. Say it with me. He has risen. Say it again. He has risen. Why? What was that message all about to these women? Well, God is calling the women to faith to have clear eyesight of God's reality. They're experiencing something in the natural they had never experienced before. And what's so interesting to me is the way the angel stated what he said. The angel is not amazed at the rising of Jesus. He kind of speaks as a, as a matter of fact. And, and I'm sure he's thinking these women should see things in the same way because Jesus had already told them that he was going to rise on the third day. I'm sure the angel is wondering why these women are so shocked about the whole thing. How many know we don't hear very well? Especially spiritual things. But there's something that the angel said that every time I've read it, it kind of just does something to my heart. The angel specifically mentions Peter. Look at how he says this. He says, See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, why in the world did God tell that angel to say, and Peter? And you think about it for just a moment. The last thing Peter did before Jesus died, was to deny him. Think about that. And by the very fact that God told the angel to tell the women to be sure to tell Pe Peter that Jesus is risen, I'm sure that what he's saying by that word is, Peter, I'm concerned about you. I forgive you. You'll also notice that we, in many of your Bibles, you will notice that the chapter ends at verse 8. We'll talk about the rest of the chapter tonight. It's quite interesting. And you go, well now, wait a minute. If the book of Mark closes at verse 8, how does this work? Well, let me just kind of share something with you. It would align itself with how Mark has shared about how people are confronted by God's direct intervention. When God intervenes in people's life so miraculously, there's a response. And you know what the response mostly is? Fear and awe. Look at it. I've written down a number of verses for you to look up. But in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, it says, Remember when Jesus was in the boat sleeping 
and the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee in that boat and a storm arose and they thought the boat was going to sink and they wake up Jesus and say, don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Give me a break. Jesus is in the boat. They ain't going to drown. They wake him up. He stands. He rebukes the wind, speaks to the waves and say, peace. And all of a sudden everything goes you know what their response was to that demonstration of God's power? It was fear and awe. What manner of man is this? That he has control over nature. You'll notice, for example, in chapter 5, verse 15. Remember, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and goes to the area of the Gerasenes, and when he gets there, there's this wild man Demon-possessed guy living in the tombs, and Jesus cast the demon out. The demon's name was Legion. Do you remember that? And when the people of the city came and they saw this man who had terrified them sitting and dressed and in his right mind, it says they were afraid. They saw God's intervention, and they were afraid. In chapter 5, verse 33, remember the woman with the issue of blood who pressed herself through the crowd, and, and Jesus said, who touched me? She was healed, and it says that she, she fell at his feet, trembling with fear. In Mark 6, 49 through 51, when Jesus walked on the water, the disciples were afraid and amazed. In chapter 9, verse 6, at the Mount of Transfiguration, remember when Jesus was seen in his glory and he was talking to Elijah and Moses and Peter, James, and John were there. They were frightened. So frightened was Peter that he spoke words that he didn't mean to speak and Jesus had to rebuke him because he was so afraid. When heaven touches earth, and the glory of God comes into this place. Oh, my, 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 my. I'll never forget the moment when, during a major revival we had at our church in 1995, the power of God came on me. Some of you were there on that Friday night. I referred to it at various times. It seemed like, uh, it, seemed like it was such a power that my my knees began to buckle. My heart began to pump like I was going to have a heart attack. I thought I was going to die. You know, people say, oh, I want to see your glory. No, you don't. It'll kill you. It'll just kill you. No wonder they were frightened. No wonder they were amazed at the power of God. And I remember that night, power of God flowed me so, so greatly. I've never been the same since. And on occasion, when I lay my hands upon people at the bestowal of an anointing upon them, that same power at times will flow through me that, that at times I've had to just kind of, I don't know how you do it, you just kind of have to for a moment wonder, Lord, are you taking me home right now because such power would flow. It's real. It's not some gimmick. It's not some little thing. The power of God's real. And it's not a light thing. It's a scary thing. And the interesting thing about it is that the point Mark is ma making by ending this whole book in verse 8, is really he's saying, look, you don't have to have a personal appearance of Jesus to prove he is risen. 
Just hearing and obeying his word is enough. Throughout the book of Mark, those who obeyed the Lord and followed in his way, God blessed them and God brought them into a deeper revelation of the Lord. And those who did not, their hearts were hardened and they became hardened against the Lord and fell far away. And Mark is saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is God revealing himself to all of humanity. And it is beyond human comprehension. Oh, I tell you what, it's frightening yet awesome. It is unexplainable, yet it is good news. Good news. Well, what is God saying to us today? There's a number of things I want to draw your attention to. I want you to put them in your notes. There's five things that I felt like the Lord was speaking to us about through this these eight verses. The first is, now that you know what happened through Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, what are you going to do about it? Now that's an interesting question, but it is really the question of this text. What are you going to do with Jesus? You're going to ignore him? You're going to follow him? You're going to serve him? You're going to allow his power to flow through you? What are you going to do? To some people, Jesus is still on the cross. You say, why would people worship a dead Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because death is a fact of life, and it's something familiar. And to adore a dead Christ, it's, it's safe and secure. For a dead Christ does not make any demands upon us. However, Jesus isn't dead. He's alive, and he is risen, and he, and as he said, and his resurrection forces us, forces us to live a new life, a new adventure of walking in the unknown. That's what it forces us to do. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. When I point at you, I want you to say, Jesus is alive. Are you ready? which forces us to rise to the demands of a new life with him, of obedience, a life of obedience to him. Which forces us to focus on continually dying to self, something we don't want to do, and living in the power of his resurrected life. Are you ready? which forces us to live a life of the miraculous, where we are not in control. He is. Somebody say hallelujah. Wow. That brings me to the second thing that I believe this text is telling us. The fact that the woman couldn't move the stone is a picture of the great contrast between our ability and God's ability. For God not only moved the stone, but raised Jesus from the dead. And the stone was moved not for Jesus. Remember, Jesus could go through walls in his glorified body. The stone wasn't moved so Jesus could get out of the tomb. The stone was moved so the women could see that Jesus was gone, no longer dead, but risen. Somebody say hallelujah. And I just 
I, I constantly have this sense that God brings us into places where we have to depend upon His ability and not our own. You know, we live in a world where everybody's talking about having self-confidence. Oh, give me a break. Self-confidence can, can lead to arrogance and foolish pride. Rather than self-confidence, why don't we have confidence in the Lord? Why don't we read what it says on our money? In God we trust. In God is our confidence. Boast in what he does. It's not that we are doormats. It's just that we realize that our own, in, our own inability is, 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 is all we really have. It's God's ability that takes our inability and turns it around to something good. Somebody say amen. That brings me then to the third thing I believe God's speaking to us about, and that is God is speaking to us about his mercy. Oh, wow. His mercy. You say, well, Pastor, where'd you see his mercy in this? Well, you see it when the angel said, but go tell his disciples and Peter. There are folks, when they blow it, they just become so guilty. They say, I can't go back to church. I don't know what you have gone through, but I can imagine what Peter must have felt like. I mean, think about it for a moment. The last thing that he did while Jesus was alive was betray him. I mean, I mean he, he did something that was so horrible. I think about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They stood up for Jesus after he died without any revelation that he was going to rise from the dead. They put their lives on the line. They were leaders in the Jewish community. They were in the Sanhedrin. They were wealthy people. They, they, they were willing to cut all their friendships and all their who they were. And Jesus, they had no idea Jesus would even rise from the dead. They just would give him honor. And here's a man who lived with him for three and a half years who boasted on he would die for the Lord, denies him. You can imagine the guilt and the shame Peter was having. You can imagine it. It was as though he was in a nightmare and he couldn't wake up. The resurrection was Peter's wake-up call. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. Because in the resurrection, everything changed. There was hope for forgiveness. Come on, somebody. There was hope for a brand new life. Hallelujah. Tell Peter I'm alive. Wow. But the fourth thing I thought was very fascinating to me, extremely fascinating. Think about what the angel said to them. Now, I want to read it, because sometimes when you read the text, you don't see what is actually being said. So let me read it to you. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Now listen to what the angel said. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Why Galilee? What's up with Galilee? I mean, they're in Jerusalem. Why have to journey 
all the way up to Galilee. Journey up north to Galilee. Hello? Can't they just stay in Jerusalem? Why Galilee? I want you to think about what happened in Galilee. It was the place where Jesus first began his ministry and called them to be his disciples. He was having them go and renew their commission to become fishers of men again. He was calling them as he did in Mark chapter 3 verse 14 and 15 to preach, to be with him, and to walk in his power. Galilee was the place of consecration. It was the place where they experienced the power of the Lord in great measure. I was thinking about it even this week, everywhere I went. It's amazing. I've not seen this happen before. But I'd be at the bank, or I'd be, on, I'd be at the airport, or I'd be in town, or I'd be somewhere, and people would come up to me and say, Hi, Pastor Morocco. And I'd say, you know, I haven't seen you. And she'd, oh, she'd, they'd say, oh, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm way in the back. You can't see me. I'm way back there. And over and over again, I, I mean, it's, it's one of the most unusual things I've ever experienced in one week's time. People coming to me and saying, saying I'm, I'm back home. I started returning. I, I kind of had a time where I was away from, from the Lord, and I wasn't walking as strongly as I should, but I, I've come back home. And I thought about it, how God, how God is doing such a marvelous work. He's bringing us back to Galilee. If you don't know it, KC is Galilee. It's the place where you can come and renew your commitment to the Lord. It's the place where you can come and make a full consecration of your life to Jesus and to say, oh God, use me again. You say, will he take me back? Listen, if he would tell the angel to tell the women, tell Peter! I'm risen. If you just turn your heart to him, he's there to meet you. And he will use you again. And that is why he was calling his disciples to meet with him in Galilee. It was a time of restoration and renewal. Oh, hallelujah. Let's continue to make this place a place where God can manifest himself in us and through us to a needy world. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Finally, the fifth thing I see God speaking to us about in this text is devotion brings revelation. Everybody say that with me. Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Ah, you got to say it better than that. Come on. Devotion brings revelation. Now think about this, for the women, they were there when Christ died on the cross. The men weren't. The only one we know of that was there was John. All these disciples who were willing to die for him, they all bragged about it, weren't around, but the women were. And the women were there at the tomb early on Sunday morning as an act of devotion to him. And what's so amazing to me is that they were the first ones to hear the message that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
They were the first ones to actually see him as the risen Lord. As you read in the other Gospels, the first witnesses of the resurrection and the first ones that saw him were not men. It were women. Why? Because of their devotion to the Lord. And here's what hit me very strongly. As you've gathered in this place today, you've gathered here for one purpose. It's to worship him. I mean, you didn't come to just hear a message preached. You didn't come just to sing a song. You didn't come just to put a, some money in the offering. You came to honor the Lord. You came as an act of your devotion to him. You could be anywhere else on the planet, but you chose on Sunday, on the day the Lord rose from the dead, I'm going to find myself in the house of the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you something about that. Some of you not only have come to worship him on a Sunday, you serve him every day of the week. Many of you are in ministries. Many of you open opportunities for others to become disciples because you're discipling them. You're there feeding the hungry. You're there praying every morning. In fact, this week it's been amazing to me. There's people, there are people that, are, that have told me, Pastor, I can't be at the prayer meeting, but I watch you on streaming every morning. I had a lady call me from Arizona and say, Pastor, I'm with you every morning at 6 o'clock. It's about 9 o'clock their time. But they're praying with us here on Maui. And I thought about, what is that all about? What is that every morning gathering to seek his face? It's an act of devotion. Every offering you put in the offering bucket is an act of devotion. Now guess what's going to happen? As you continue to devote yourself to the Lord, God is going to do for you what he did for those women. He's going to give you revelation for your life. He's going to give you insights you did not know. I had an, it's a little humorous, I had an interesting experience on my way to Honolulu this week. As you know, I fly to Honolulu to preach there on Wednesdays, and Pastor Josh flies here to preach. And so I was flying to Honolulu, and I was sitting in my seat, and I was just kind of praying, meditating, and, and, uh, and, I, and, and a thought came to my mind. It's oftentimes the Holy Spirit will bring a thought. And the thought was, uh, I wonder why I don't like cats so much. Now, we've had a cat. The cat's dead. He died a while back. His name was Winter. He was a good cat. He killed a lot of, lots of rat, rats up there in Olinda. And uh, my wife loves cats. That's why we always have cats. But I've always tended to like dogs more. But my wife takes care of the dogs, too, because I'm so busy. But I said, I wonder why I don't like cats. And just like that, a picture came to my mind of when I was five years old. I was living in Calcutta, India. And some of you know this story. But uh, we lived in a compound. In fact, that compound, when I went back to India a few years ago, uh, was given to Mother Teresa. And I remember when we were there, she had many of her uh, people that were, she was ministering to in that very house where I lived. It had the same, everything was the same. It was, it's planted deeply in my mind as a big veranda. And, my brother David, who's gone home to be with the Lord, our neighbor who lived in the same compound had a, had a, a leopard, a, a full-grown leopard. Her name was Ronnie, meaning queen. And uh, 
Ronnie was chained to the wall with a big thick chain and my brother David thought he'd have a little fun and he was doing this stuff, you know, and teasing the leopard. And that leopard got back on its haunches and sprung full force at David, snapped that chain, landed right on David. Well, I saw this. I was a kid of five years old on the porch and I saw this leopard jump on David and I ran to the front door. I'll never forget it. He took one, he saw me move. So he took one lunge, lunge and then another lunge on the deck. And I got to the door and I tried to open it. And I could see my mama screaming at the top of the lungs. But she wouldn't open the door. And when I turned, that leopard landed right on me. We had a little dog. He was, you know, one of those small little dogs. And he was brave. He ran up to that leopard, barking. That leopard took his paw and went, what? That dog flipped about five or ten times. I don't know, just flipped all the way down. And he shook for a whole hour like this. I think that's why I like dogs better than cats. I had that revelation. I thought, I wonder if that's why I don't like cats today. I don't know what revelation you need. <laughs> I'm sure it's not that one. But I'll tell you one thing. If you live a life of devotion to God, there will be times when you're saying, Lord, I need wisdom. And you claim a promise. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You see, Jesus is real. He's alive. He speaks to us through the power of the Holy Ghost. And our devotion releases. Are you hearing me? Our devotion releases revelation for our life. That's why it's so important for you to stay steady in your walk with God. Don't let anything move you. Those ladies didn't let the Roman army move them. They didn't let the horror of what they were experiencing moved them. They stayed true to their love for Jesus, even though they didn't understand what was happening. But it was in that God gave them a revelation. He's alive. He's alive. And they were the first evangelists of the gospel. I've got good news for you. He has risen. Everybody say it with me. He has risen. And we're called on to live a life in light of his resurrection. It's a relationship with the living Lord every single day. He walks with me and he talks with me, that song says, and he tells me I am his own. Oh, hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet and would you lift both hands in the air and begin to praise the risen Lord? Come on, praise him with all your heart. Lord, we praise you. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.